morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Happy Mother's Day to you. So good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. He's here to celebrate our moms and, and be celebrated with them. Before we get into message time, though, I want to remind you that this coming Wednesday night, May 16th, one of the biggest events of the year as far as I'm concerned, we're going to have an informational meeting related to small groups in the church. We call them bridge groups. It's going to be a critical part of our church moving forward. And so I encourage you to make every effort to be right here in this room, 7 o'clock Wednesday night, uh, and, and just be a part of it. If you feel called to be a leader, then certainly you need to be here. Even if you're not, you just want to know more about small groups and how they work, what it means to be a leader, all that stuff, come be a part of that Wednesday night. And we'll tell you more about how we train leaders, how you can become a leader, how you can become a part of a small group. So going forward, I hope you will make every effort to be here Wednesday night, May 16th, 7 o'clock. I'll be here. I hope you'll be here with me. Okay, got it? Got it? So go on, if you can, go online, go to the, the app, and register just so we can know to anticipate you. So we're celebrating this morning. Pastor Andy already told us uh, we set a goal at the beginning of the year to 365 people would come to know Jesus this year. The New Testament church said the Lord added daily those who were being saved. That's 365 in my world. I said, well, if they happened in the New Testament, why can't it happen at the bridge? Does that make sense? So we've set a goal, and we're praying for 365 people to come to Christ. And so far this year, as of the end of April, 132 people have come to Christ here in the ministries of the bridge. Give it up. Give it up. <laughs> One of the reasons we're pressing into small groups is, quite frankly, that's 132 babies who need somebody to help them grow up, right? And so we're going to be doing a lot more about that to help these, these babes in Christ grow up in Christ and all of us to, to become everything God made us to be. So let's get into message time. Can we start with a point of agreement this morning? I always like to do that. There is just something special about the mother-love bond. Can I get an amen in the house? I got two over here. Got a half-hearted one over here. There's just something special about mama. Just knew it was going to happen. We all know that regardless of your age or your status, whether you're a mom or not. Uh, how many of you are the child of a mom? A anybody here? God bless that hand. I see that hand. The rest of you are robots, I guess, or clones or something. Uh, so this applies to all of us. And there's just something special about them. Let me prove it to you right quick, okay? First of all, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel got into the place where they were, having, they were struggling in their own faith, their own trust in God, they actually accused him of having forsaken them. Look at Isaiah 49, uh, 14 and 15. Israel said these words, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. That's an incredible accusation to make of the God of the universe. But how did God respond to it? How did he do it? Look at it. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. In other words, when Israel accused God of forgetting them, God searched the universe for an illustration to prove that he hadn't, and the one he came up with was a nursing mother. He said if a nursing mom can forget that she has a baby right in the middle of breastfeeding, then maybe it's possible that I could forget you. That's impossible. But even if she could, I haven't forgotten you. Now let's just pause for a second. Because i got a feeling there's some of you in this room or some of you watching online that Mother's Day is a difficult day in a lot of ways. And what you need to hear this white-haired preacher say is God has not forgotten you. He knows what's going on. 
Heaven may seem silent as midnight right now, but he's listening, and he's there, and he hasn't forgotten you, and he knows the circumstance you're in. Just hear him, receive him, bless him, love him. But the bottom line way that he communicated that was through mother love. But not just Old Testament, New Testament. When the Apostle Paul wanted to communicate to the church at Thessalonica how much he loved them, he did the same thing. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, as apostles of Christ, we could have used our authority over you, but we were very gentle with you like a mother caring for her little children. Now hear this. Paul's saying, I had the authority to boss you around, tell you what to do, but that's not what I did. I took the approach of a nursing mother, a caring mother. Mother, we're talking about courageous, uh, mission-driven, get stoned and left for dead and get up and go preach the gospel in the next town, Paul. And when he wanted to describe how much he loved the church, he said, consider me like a nursing mama. I mean, there's just something about mother love that makes it special. Even the Wall Street Journal, the stodgy old Wall Street Journal, runs a help-wanted ad every year that goes like this. Must be proficient in fashion, decorating, recreation, uh, education, transportation, psychology, romance, cuisine, design, literature, medicine, handicrafts, art, horticulture, economics, government, community relations, pediatrics, direct mail, law, accounting, religion, energy, and management, must be willing to work long hours for little or no pay, must be special. She is, she's a mother. Can I get an amen in the house? And while we're making a list, dads, we know it too. I know, you know, there's a thing called father love, and we'll get to you guys in just a few weeks. I know some churches, it seems like we honor mom's on Mother's Day, and then we challenge dads on Father's Day. Not going to happen. We're going to honor dads on Dad's Day. You'll get your, ch- your chance. But let's just be honest, just me and you guys for a minute. There's a difference. There, there's just a difference. I mean, we're going through the mall, and some snotty-nosed bandit with ice cream in his hair comes walking by, and we say, dirty kid, somebody ought to give him a bath. And Mom says, oh, isn't he precious? Right? He grows up and messes up, and mom wants to take him up in her lap and rock him, and dad says, Nuke him, we'll make some more. I mean, we're just different. We're just, we're just different. Even politicians know it. Ask any politician of any ilk, and they will tell you that on the campaign trail, there are four things you never joke about. You don't joke about God, country, apple pie, or mama. You will not get elected if you do. Why? Because there's just something special about the mother-love bond. There's this whole persona that permeates our culture uh, to the point that it's, it's easy for all of us just to say, yeah, you're right, there's something unique about it. Why, why is that? I, you know, this week as I'm pondering <coughs> what I'm going to share with you on Mother's Day, I'm thinking, what, what is it? How, how did we get here? How did, how, did, how did moms get to this place that that bond is so deep and, and so life-defining um, then I just started reflecting, you know, on, on us. Kim and I have three boys, and, and um, one of them's in heaven, one of them's in North Carolina, one of them's in Virginia. And, and so uh, I, I reflected on those days when, um, 
when mom, when Kim was becoming a mom and carrying those kids, and, and I'm not going to turn the sermon into a Lamaze class or a natural childbirth class. Don't get nervous uh, too much. But, but I just thought about some of the stuff that went on. I thought maybe if we could understand what happened in a mom while she's carrying a child, then maybe we could understand what happens to a mom in the forming of this mother love kind of bond. So, so hear me. Um, this is the observation of a dad watching, okay? Uh, it seems to me that from the moment a woman finds out she's expecting, her life changes forever. Is that true, ladies? It just, they never hear an ambulance siren the same way again. They never read a headline the same way Again, I mean, the emotional changes that happen. They see a headline, and the first question is, is that my child? And if it's not, then that's somebody's child. I mean, it's just there's something that happens. There's this chain reaction of emotions that they go through, that you ladies go through during that season. I mean, from joy to fear, from doubt to determination, from loneliness to anticipation, up and down she goes, and where she stops, dad has no clue. I mean, just, you just don't know. Then there's the chemical changes that come, you know, the, the morning sickness or the all-day sickness, as the case may be. When, when Kim was carrying our first son, uh, somebody had given us some deer meat one day, and, and I, being the deeply spiritual and sensitive man that I am, uh, said, Kim, would you fry me some deer meat for dinner? She said, oh, I just don't think I can. I just don't think I can. I said, oh, never mind. I'll do it myself. Wrong answer. <laughs> filled the house with the aromas that made her sick all over again. Then there's the food binges. I don't know about you ladies, but Kim wanted strawberries and fish. Serious. One time I drove an hour to buy oysters because she had to have oysters. I never really knew if those cravings were caused by the pregnancy or excused by them. I don't know. Doesn't matter. I wasn't having to go through it, so I drove, right? And, of course, there's the self-esteem issues that come during that time. Every pregnant woman I've ever known hates every woman who's wearing a belt. Just look at them and say, I mean, you know, they'll gain some weight. Their center of gravity gets off. They'll lose the weight eventually, but they never feel the same about their bodies again. Am I right, moms? Never again. Then there's the, the center of gravity that gets off. My, my older sister is like 5'2 and a little tiny thing. Uh, when she was pregnant with one of her children, my cousin got married, and she came to the wedding and stole the whole show. She's sitting on the front row, and when she started to get up, her center of gravity was so far off, one of the groomsmen had to come and pull her up and just took the whole show that day. There's just something that happens that ultimately defines her. And then, and, and then at that moment of the pregnancy when... When she starts thinking, I don't think I can do this anymore. This is just, this is just too much. I'm about to give up. It happens. It, it just, it, that, it, it happens. And guys, um, let's just be honest. We don't have a parallel. Not, not angina, not, uh, not heartburn, not gas. I mean, we don't have a parallel. It's that moment. Um, I cannot describe it because I haven't felt it, but I saw it in the look in Kim's eyes, and I heard it in her voice when she said, Jim, you have got to come feel this. And I came over and I put my hand on her stomach and I felt the somersaults going on and the full twist with a half gainer and, you know, and she's just 
the, the wonder of that moment is more than I can describe. I can't even imagine what that might have been like or must have been like for her. Eventually, of course, they get caught under the rib and they're talking about, oh, I don't think I could do this. I almost wish it would stop. Almost, not quite, because every nudge is a reminder that life, the miracle of life's happening right inside of her, and she will never be the same because not only is a new life coming, but the bond of mother love is forming deeply. Then you get to the labor room. I don't know who named that, but that's the right name for it, best I could tell. Now, I'm going to show my age a little bit. I, I come from the day when you couldn't go, dads couldn't go into the labor room unless the doctor approved it, and some did and some didn't. And uh, you had to go through six or eight weeks of Lamaze classes or natural childbirth classes, and you had to learn breathing techniques and effleurage and all that kind of stuff. So we jumped through all those hoops and did all that stuff, made sure we had the right doctor because I wanted to be in the labor room with them. I had born, Andrew was born right over here at Wayne Memorial, and in those days it was one big open room with curtains between each, you know, of the labor areas. And I, 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 don't, I don't really know how to say this uh, respectfully, but... Women change in there. <laughs> careful, Dad, careful. One woman is cussing her husband for everything. She's making up cuss words. I mean, it's just, you know. And there's, there's one lady, right, I kid you not, in the cubicle beside us, I heard her say, I've changed my mind, I'm not going to do this. I don't think you could do that, right? And Kim, the sweetest, toughest lady I've ever known in my entire life, I'm trying to help her with her breathing techniques, and she looks at me at one point with this glare and says, don't blow in my face. <laughs> and then there's the delivery room. Oh, man. Can I tell you? Uh, that I've been around the world. I, you know, I, I, I've climbed mountains. I've, I've looked through the Bisong Pass, which is the highest point in the Cervantes Mountains, looking out over the Abra River Valley where very few Westerners have ever even been. I, I have jumped out of airplanes. I have uh, walked through thousand-year-old virgin rainforest, but nothing I've ever seen in my life compares to the majesty of birth. When that child is born, and he cries for the first time. Zach, our youngest, was born asleep. They had to wake him up. <laughs> He's been laid back ever since, but <laughs> I'm in there supposed to be helping Kim, you know, with her breathing, and she kept looking at me and saying, Jim, are you okay? <gasps> yeah, but help me with my breathing. <sighs> my nausea attacks are getting closer together all the time. <laughs> but in that moment when when the boys arrived and the world stopped and they placed that baby in Kim's arms and that, oh man, I wish I had had a camera. I don't know why I didn't bring a camera, but, but that moment when you could see mom and baby laying there together, there's the only name you can give a picture like that is radiance because you know somehow not only is new life here, but there's a bond that is formed between mother and child that transcends any experience that human beings can have. And then there's the nursing and the caring 
and the first bath and the first outfit and the, and the humming and the rocking and the singing in the middle of the night, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. So, guys, we'll get to us in a few weeks. We experience a bond too, but it just ain't the same. It's worlds apart from this thing called mother love. And I'm told that moms who adopt children, even though they didn't have all those physical experiences, I'm heard. I'm told that moms who adopt children have the same kind of miraculous bonding take place too. They bond just as deeply as if they'd actually carried that child. It's an amazing thing to watch and to experience and to see. All I'm saying is that the bond is real. God created on purpose. He had purpose in doing it because moms are special. Can I get an amen in the house now? Yeah. Now, there's a problem, though. And the problem is that while we recognize how special moms are in our lives, um, we kind of, in the process of celebrating that, have uh, unintentionally, I suppose, inadvertently, no doubt, heaped pressure on moms to, to what I call the myth of motherhood. We've kind of created this level of expectation of who she's supposed to be and how she's supposed to act and what she's supposed to do and not do, that, that it becomes, uh, instead of being a celebration and an honor, it becomes a pressure to somehow live up to. The result is an awful lot of moms, when they find out they're pregnant, are immediately overwhelmed. I can't do this. I don't know if I can do this. This is too much. I don't know if I can. Because the office of motherhood has become bigger than life. Makes me want to break out in song. Here's a story of a lovely lady. All right? The Brady Bunch. Come on. The Brady Bunch. That's the way they all became the Brady Bunch. Would the real Carol Brady please stand? Not here? Yes, it's just kind of culture has created this thing that has transcended time. And even though that's an old TV show, it's that theme song resonates across our hearts. So here we go. Um, I'm here to try to take some of that pressure off, inject some reality into it, and honor moms in the process. So, so it's hard to say. Uh, I, I'm going to say this as respectfully as I know how. Uh, I, I, it may be shocking to some of you and relieving to others, but Pray for me. Here we go. Had a hard time in first service doing this. I'm going to get it out. Here we go. <coughs> there never has been, nor will there ever be, a perfect mother. I said it. Don't shoot me. It's true. In fact, I think there are four realities that we have to face. Not so that we can lower the bar somehow because there ain't no doubt about the specialness of motherhood. God established it. The Apostle Paul established it. We all know it's true. But to inject a little bit of reality in the expectations we put on our moms so that we can, in fact, honor them in the kind of ways that they deserve. Four simple realities, and I'm going to wrap this up because I want to send you off to your Mother's Day activities, and I want you to go find some moms biological, adoptive, and spiritual moms that you can honor today. 
Reality number one, moms are born with a sin nature. Moms are born with a sin nature. Psalm 51.5, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. All humanity is born with a sin nature. Adam and Eve were created by God, put into the perfect place called the Garden of Eden, and there they had a perfect, intimate relationship with God in this idyllic setting. In time, Adam and Eve chose sin. And when they chose to sin, they tarnished the image of God in their hearts and damaged the relationship so that death was entered into the equation. Here's the bottom line. Adam and Eve were born holy and chose sin, and from that day to this, we're born in sin. We have to choose to be holy. The result is that this sin nature that we're born into has a huge impact on our choices in life. Is it true? And all of you have these these amazing children that you love deeply, but you don't, maybe you did, I didn't have to teach my children to be selfish. I mean, how many of you had an infant in his crib or her crib, a few months old, woke up in the middle of the night with a wet diaper and an empty stomach, and they laid there and said, you know, mom and dad are so tired. They work so hard. I'm just going to lay here in this till morning. Your kids? Not mine. Mine screamed bloody murder until Kim got up and took care of them. <laughs> I'm such a bad man. Is it true? So we're all born, including mom, human nature, we're all born with this in nature. And as powerful as the bond of mother love is and, the, and as huge as that thing is, that means that all of us, including mothers, it's easier to be self-centered than it is to be selfless. It's easier to be takers than it is to be givers. It comes more naturally to us to cave into our fears than it is to rise up in faith. It's just easier because this sin nature thing is a huge deal that has to be dealt with. So, yeah, the mother love bond is strong and worthy to be honored, but the sin nature is a powerful force that has to be reckoned with too. So factor that reality in when you're relating to the biological, adoptive, and spiritual moms in your life. The second reality is that moms grew up in imperfect homes. Moms grew up in imperfect homes. Is that true? I mean, if you take an imperfect person and marry them to an imperfect person and they create a third person, will that third one be perfect? No, because imperfect and imperfect doesn't create perfect. It creates dysfunction. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, so every family I know of, mine, yours, and everybody's, has some level of dif- dysfunction that has to be dealt with. It has to be made subject to Christ. Do you understand the difference between a Christian family and a Christ-centered family? you understand the difference between those two things? A Christian family, and I see it all the time, a Christian family is one that says, we are followers of Jesus Christ, and we're going to make sure that Jesus I- is injected into certain aspects of our family's life. A Christ-centered family is the one that says Jesus is the reason for our existence. He is the center of our existence. We're going to make sure he's at the center of every decision we make. You see the difference between those two things? Well, none of us by nature, even as followers of Christ, have a Christ-centered marriage. We may have a Christian marriage, but we have to choose to have a Christ-centered marriage. And so the reality is that moms grew up in imperfect environments, and those imperfect environments impact the way she parents. Is that true? 
I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. You, you, you've, all of us found that experience when we were kids growing up, and, and our mom or our dad would say something to us, and we didn't like it, and we would say, you know what you said, boy, when I'm old and I have kids, I'm never going to talk to my kids like that, right? Fast forward 25 years, and your kids are coming along. Before you know it, your mom's voice, your dad's voice is coming out of your mouth. and go, ah, I became my dad. How did I do this, right? Because we're products of our upbringing that has to be dealt with, and our moms grew up in imperfect environments. So that means that, that a mom who grew up poor may overemphasize fashion and dress and self-esteem that comes from appearance. A mom who grew up unpopular may push her kids to do the things that will make them popular. A mom who was ignored growing up may fall into the trap of, trying to make sure their kids got lots of attention and in the process create neurotic kids who think they're the center of the universe. My mother uh, went to be with the Lord about 18 months ago. She was uh, an amazing woman. I mean, she prayed me into the kingdom and, uh, and nurtured me in the faith and just an amazing, uh, in love with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, saint of God, if there ever has been one on the planet. She was an amazing lady. But mom, when she was five years old, was in a car accident with my granddad. Back in the day, when you didn't have seat belts or, or airbags, and, and dashboards were made out of metal, and her face went into the dashboard, and it knocked all of her front teeth out. Back in the 20s, when... Uh, the Depression days where there were no money for dentures and braces and all that kind of stuff. So mom went through her early childhood years without front teeth, which impacted her profoundly in terms of meeting new people to the day she died. She had a circle of friends that she was fully invested in, but put her in a social setting that's unique, and she immediately just naturally pulled back. We, we are products of our upbringing, guys. And the moms in your life are products of theirs. And we can learn to deal with those things, and Jesus can help us overcome those things, but they are obstacles that have to be overcome. Reality number three, moms, uh, our moms are, are subject to trials and, and pressures, not just from coming up, but today. Mothers have to be master jugglers. The Wall Street Journal want, help wanted ad that I read to you a few moments ago. Moms these days have to be homemakers and breadwinners and, and office managers and church leaders and, and servants and, and mothers too and wives. And it doesn't matter how good she is. Every now and then she's spinning so many plates that something blindsides her and the plates go flying. And she's just going to Lash out. She's going to speak out. That's going to happen. She's going to say something she didn't mean to say or say it in a way she didn't mean to say it. That's just going to happen. And even when she realizes she shouldn't have, she's doing her best. But the pressures can be profound, and so just be aware of that reality. Reality number four, moms suffer from a lack of instruction. I've often heard mothers lament. I've heard it many times. I've heard Kim say it. Uh, as our kids got older, she said, you know, if I had it to do over, I, I, I just didn't know at the time. And I've learned now. I wish I had done it differently than I did. I, I handled it wrong. I, <coughs> I was rigid when I should have been flexible, and I was permission when I, when I should have been strict. I, I missed the early warning signs until it was too late. I wish I could have, should have, would have if I had known, but I didn't know. Nobody told me that stuff. It's a strange part of our culture that as important as mom is, if you want to be a dental assistant, you go to school. 
You want to be a mom? Good luck. You're on your own. And quite frankly, the church historically has been pretty silent about all of that. Churches like ours that are trying really hard to make sure that we're injecting truth, biblical truth, into those dynamics of the family, of marriage and parenting and, and step-parenting. We're just doing our best to provide you some biblical education in those areas because where do you go to school for that? Um, you just learn out there on the job kind of thing. And so when you add all those realities up, um, it seems obvious there are no perfect Mothers, but in fact, how dare we put the expectation of perfection on our moms as a means of honoring them? It just creates pressure that they should, she shouldn't have to be under. So the question is, what do we do about it? I'm going to shift gears and I'm going to let you go. What do we do about the, the realities that I've been trying to share with you this morning? The mother love bond is profound and powerful, but we put so much pressure uh, that it... it uh, it flies in the face of reality, so what do we do? Let me talk to you moms first, just briefly. What do you do, mom, in the face of a culture that expects you to live at a level of perfection that, quite frankly, isn't realistic? What do you do? Well, it's easy, right? You just cover it up. You just pretend. You just fake it till you make it. You, you, you blame your errors on somebody else. You, you're a victim of your society, whatever. I, and that's what we've been taught to do in many circles. And I need to tell you, if that's what you're doing, I'm sorry, that's not going to get you healthy, and it's not going to get you the relationship with your kids that you want either. It just doesn't work. The Scriptures say the answer is confession. First, confession to God. Animal mothers are, are expected to feed and protect uh, their birth, their kids, and then just turn them loose. But human mothers are called to so much more than that. I mean, you moms rear your children in the fear of the Lord. You, you shape their lives. You help shape our personalities. You give them self-worth. You, you, you're the first ones quite often to tell them about Jesus, develop the character and devotion to Christ in the home. I mean, it's a serious business. And so when we mess up, the impact is huge. So when you mess up, fess up. 1 John 1, 9, you probably know that verse. I quote it a lot around here. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do that and you can get a fresh start. God's there to give you a second chance, a 92nd chance, a 127th chance. I mean, whatever you need, He will pick you up, dust you off, and the Holy Spirit will dry your tears and send you on your way again to become the type of mother that you want to be and that your kids need you to be, but you've got to be honest with God about that in order to get His power. Remember, He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I've got to ask, Mom, just sit quietly, but any moms out there that are overdue for a confession? Just be honest with God for a moment and say, God, I haven't been doing this in the best way. I haven't been doing this in a healthy way. Maybe you've, maybe you've let the pressures of unrealistic society push you into a mold that, that you know is not healthy. Maybe your sin nature's kind of pulled you into selfish or whatever it is. Have you, have you confessed it to God? The second confession then is to your children. You confess it to God first, and then you confess it to your children. Are you kidding me? Confess it to my kids? That would blow the myth out of the water. That's what I'm trying to tell you. 
blow the myth out of the water. It's one of Kim's greatest attributes. She, she modeled that for me. I, I walked by the boys' rooms more times than one where she's sitting on the bed and she's saying, you know what, son, I didn't handle that very well. Let me, let me just be honest with you and say I messed that one up. Can, will you forgive me? And I watched her do that and learned from her uh, uh, but didn't learn the lesson very well. I remember I shared in first service when Kim was here in first service. Uh, I remember uh, one time when Zach, our youngest, was about six probably, and we were remodeling a house. We were planning a new church in Chesapeake, Virginia, and I was working lots of hours and pushing hard, and we were remodeling a house at the same time. So I tried to squeeze in little remodeling projects between trips to the back to the church and appointments and meetings and whatever. And, uh, and so I had a little window of time to paint the laundry room. So I went in, rushed in, all my equipment's there. I'm ready to start painting. And Zach, six-year-old, comes in and says, hey, Dad, I want to paint with you. And I went, I don't have time for this. You know, I'm just going to, oh, my head's about to explode. I'm trying to smile. And about the time I'm going to tell him, son, I wish I could, but I ain't got time, I saw from the other room the look. How did you know what I meant by the look? Can I, ladies, is there a manual somewhere where they teach you the look? I, I've preached on three continents. I've, I've talked about this subject in 27 different languages, and every man I know knows the look. I can't duplicate it. Kim's asked me to try, and it just looks stupid when I do. But she has this look, and when she looks with me at me with that look, I can't look at her anymore. I go. So here's Zach asking to help paint. I, she knows I'm about to say I ain't got time for this. I get the look, and I say, sure, son, I'd be glad for you to. Here's a brush, and I'll give you a little hidden area of the room to paint, and I'll, here's what you do, and here's how you do it. And so I went back to what I was doing, trying to rush and get the paint job done, and, and he's over here kind of slopping it on. And I finally looked over, and, and you know, it's, I'm boiling, and I'm going, man, i got to cover that up, and he's messing it up, and I ain't got time for this. And I finally said, son, that's not how I told you to do it. Put that paintbrush down and get out of here. And he looked up at me and tears came in his eyes and he stormed out of the room down the hall to his bedroom and I didn't even have to see the look that time. I felt the look. <laughs> I know. So I worked up the nerve and I went down the hall to Zach's room. By the time I got there, he's sitting on his bed and he's snubbing. He's not just crying. He's snubbing now. It's like... <gasps> You know, and so I sat down and I looked him in the eye, and I start crying now. And I said, Zach, I'm so sorry. Man, Dad blew that one. There are no excuses for what I just did, and I am truly sorry that I did that to you. Will you forgive me? He looked up at me through his tears. He finally got his breath, and he said, You cry funny. <laughs> Moms, don't be afraid to be real with your kids. Now, let me tell you, your kids aren't dumb. They may be messy and rebellious, but they ain't dumb. They know. Just be real. I'm sorry I messed that up. Will you forgive me? Don't ever underestimate the power 
of a sincere apology. And it's never too late. My kids are grown. My, my kids have kids. My kids have grandkids. Doesn't change anything. Never underestimate the power of a sincere apology. Confess to God. Get his forgiveness. Confess to your children. They may not have the grace to forgive you, but you've already followed God's plan. It's your best shot at intimacy. So how do we children honor the moms in our lives? What, what do we do about it? I think we established at some point in the service today that we are all children of a mom somewhere. Is this anybody who's not a child of a mom? Anybody? Yeah, so some of our moms are living. Some of our moms we don't know. You know, biological moms, adoptive moms, spiritual moms in our lives. Here's what the Bible says, whatever category they're in. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. The one of the Ten Commandments that has a promise attached to it, if you will do this, you get long life on the earth. But hear me, guys, it does not say honor your father and your mother if you deem them to be sufficiently honorable. It just says honor them. If the only thing you've got is thank you, Mom, for giving me life, She had other options in this day and time. She gave you life. If that's all you got, honor her for that. The Bible says that we are to honor our parents. But there's a second one that I just want to share this story, this illustration with you, and I'll hush. Jesus role modeled this principle in the highest possible terms. Go with me in your mind to those last days that Jesus was on earth before the cross He's been in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. He's betrayed by Judas. He's taken into custody. He's been up all night in this series of illegal trials. He's been beaten to the point of death. He's about to bleed out. He's been, had this crown of two-inch thorns pressed not just into his skin but into his skull. And he's had this heavy cross laid on his shoulders. And with his last ounces of energy, he carries this cross as far as he can toward the hill called Golgotha where he collapses under the weight. Somebody else carries it for him. They get to the hill and they nail him to the cross. Spikes through his hands, spikes through his feet. They raise that cross up and they drop it into the hole in the ground and it lands with a thud and there he is suspended between heaven and earth. And in the agony of that moment, Jesus took on the sins of the whole world, of every generation, past, present, and future. I'm talking about every lie, every piece of gossip, every murder, every rape. He took on the penalty of all of those sins across all time in that moment. And hanging there on that cross, the Holy Father had no choice but to turn his back on that sin in that moment. The point that Jesus said, Dad, where are you? Have you forsaken me? To tell us, die, it's finished. Not I am finished. He ain't finished. Long from it. It is finished. I've paid for it. It's done. Your sins are paid for. My sins are paid for. We get a fresh start. But here's what I want you to hear. In that moment, in that agony of that moment, emotional, spiritual, physical agony of that moment, John chapter 9 stands out 
verses 25, 6, and 7, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Do you understand what we just read? Jesus, in the midst of all of that agony, saw his mom and said, I better take care of her. This is tough on her. And so he looked at John, the disciple whom he loved, and said, John, can you make her your mom from now on? I'm not going to be here to take care of her. Will you take care of her? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Mom, do you see John there? He's your son now. He's going to take care of you. Let him take care of you. In that moment of supreme agony and the supreme price that he paid for all of our sins, he paid tribute to his mom. So what's keeping you from doing it? I hope nothing. And let me hurry to say, my mom's no longer physically here on this earth, but the highest tribute I give her, the highest honor I bring her, is I'm doing my best to have a Christ-centered life and a Christ-centered family because that's what she wanted for me. No gift you will ever give your mother will ever rise to the power of honoring the legacy she's given to you in Christ. So would you bow with me and let's pray that prayer together. Father, you know the moms in our lives, biological, spiritual, adoptive, the mother figures that are around us that invest in us. And I pray simply here and now that you would forgive us for our failures to bring honor where honor is so often due. Help us to pay tribute to the moms in our lives. I pray for the moms in this room and watching online. I pray that they would feel the honor that you bestow on them by giving them such a vital role in humanity. They would recognize how honored they are in your sight and I pray that they would recognize that in us, too, that we would honor the moms around us in a way that they are lifted up and empowered by it. Thank you for the moms in our lives. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a minute. I have a feeling there's some of you listening to me right now that are struggling with some of the things that I've said because of circumstances or environments, choices that you've made or some of the moms in your life have made. And I believe God wants me to give you a chance to start fresh right now. To be defined by the decision that you're going to make right now, not by the things that have or have not happened in the past. So I'm going to ask you to join me in a prayer, out loud, silently, in your own words, but join me in a prayer, would you? 
Jesus, I want a fresh start with you. I want a fresh start with my mom. All of them. Biological, adoptive, and spiritual. Help me to honor you for giving me life. And help me to honor those ladies by giving them the tribute that they are due. And then give me new life to do it differently this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? My prayer is that you'll go out today and find a mom. Maybe it's a stranger just looks like a mom and just pay tribute. Do something to bless the moms through this day. But remember, the best way you do that is by honoring Christ in your own life. Father, take us from this place. Use us to bring glory to you and to the building of your kingdom and to the blessing of the moms around us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I'll see you Wednesday night. I'll see you next Sunday for the Family Matters series. Have a great Mother's Day.